morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2, we'll read from verses 1 to 20. Luke 2, 1 to 20. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first when Cyrenius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his spouse wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign to you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. This far the reading of God's word, most precious word. Let's come before the Lord now in prayer and ask for his blessings. Let's pray. Our most holy and awesome God, Lord God Almighty, the highest God, O oh Lord, we come before thee filled with wonder. As we contemplate thy glory, O oh Lord, our hearts are filled with thy majesty, thy glory and power. And O oh Lord, let us behold even this day 
the same, the same glory that these shepherds beheld on that day. The glory of the God-man, the glory of the Savior of the universe, Jesus Christ. O oh Lord, we come before thy presence today, confessing that with Adam we have sin. We, are, we were born into sin, Lord. And just as the first Adam failed, we sin likewise. But, O oh Lord, we come this day praising Thee, for the second Adam has come, and he has perfectly fulfilled the law, reversed the curse, died for our sins, were resurrected from the dead, and ascended into heaven. And, O oh Lord, it is because of what Christ has done, our second Adam, our representative, that we can come before Thee. No, Lord, we ask that even during this season, that would fill our hearts with joy, that would fill our hearts with the glory and beauty of Jesus Christ. Let us know that there is no other Savior but Thee. There is no other hope of salvation but Jesus Christ, the God-man. And, O Lord, we pray that all of us would be so impressed by Thy glory that would praise Thee and proclaim thy name to others as well. That this would be a reality in our hearts and also in our lips that we would profess this to others around us. That all those around us would come to know the reality of this God-man who dwelt among us and that we have seen his glory. Lord, we pray for our families, those who are here today and those who cannot be here, those who are sick and or those who are traveling, be with them. Oh, no, Lord, be with our families in this season, that we would be filled with the joy of Jesus Christ. Lord, protect our families throughout the remaining of this year and in the upcoming year as well, Lord. Help us to live lives, coram deum, before the face of God, before Thee, Lord, and for Thy glory, for Thy name's sake, to be faithful servants, in thy house, Lord. O oh, Lord, keep us faithfully. Help us to consider these things in our hearts, just as Mary did. And help us to praise thy name and proclaim thy name across the world, as those shepherds did. So, O oh, Lord, impress us more and more with the glory of Christ. We pray, Lord, that for this upcoming year, it will be a year marked by thy glory in our lives, Lord to live lives as people who are impressed with Thee, impressed with the glory of Christ, who long to be with Thee forevermore. So, oh Lord, we come here today to praise Thy name, to proclaim Thy glory, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll have now a moment to give our offerings to the Lord as we give thanks to Him. And then we'll sing from Psalter 48, stanzas 1 to 5. Psalter 48 is from Psalm 22, which displays Christ. morning we'll meditate from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20, the fulfillment of Christmas. But before we do, let's come before the Lord and ask for His blessing once again. Let's pray. O Lord, our most glorious God, as we come before Thee, Lord, we ask that even today we would have a foretaste of heaven, 
a foretaste of this message that we just sang, that one day all the earth will be filled with thy glory, and every tongue shall confess, every one shall profess, and worship thee as God alone on high. So, O Lord, help us to profess thy name and to sing praises to thee, not only this day, but all the days of our lives, today and forever, and even in heaven, Lord. This will be what we will do forever and ever, to worship thee and praise thy name. And that is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Christmas has become, especially in the West, a time of shopping, a time of packed stores filled with people running after gifts and presents, parties, eating, drinking. This became a synonym of all these events. Christmas became a commercial season in so many ways, which actually make us wonder, whose birthday is it, after all? Is it a time for celebrating the birth of King Jesus, or is it a time that we celebrate entertainment and then pleasure in our culture and days? It is easy to miss the point of Christmas, and for that reason, we need to be reminded of how glorious the birth of Jesus is, how majestic, how wonderful it is that God was made flesh and dwelt among us. In the incarnation, eternity entered time. The infinite God entered in finite humanity. This is the day that all the prophets and the angels look forward to see it fulfilled. This is the day that history will always remember. This is a glorious day. And we will look into how the fulfillment of Christmas is an extraordinary event, a cosmical event, and that would change the history forever. And to do so, we'll divide our text into three, three points. Christmas is a quietly fulfilled, quietly fulfilled verses 1 to 7. Second, it is gloriously proclaimed, verses 8 to 12. And third, it is widely praised, verses 13 to 20. So what is started in the birth of Christ will echo in all eternity. What is started in that day will echo throughout all ages forever. But the great story of Christmas begins in a quiet way. When Caesar Augustus decreed an enrollment, he wanted to tax his people, to tax all the people, and for that he would have everyone traveling back to their hometown, to their home countries and cities. Caesar was the great authority of that time, so whatever Caesar decreed, it would come to happen. It would be that way. He was the greatest authority of the Roman Empire and of the world at that time. So it's quite curious that God uses a political providence to fulfill his purpose. Taxes were always something that people dislike, even in the times of Christ, even in the times of Jesus, until today. But even taxes were used to fulfill the redemptive history. Even taxes were used by the Almighty God for a purpose. By going to Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary are obeying the civil government, and the Lord is using this as a seamless 
seamless act of providence to fulfill his word. Caesar at that time was hailed as Savior, as the bringer of good tidings, as God, the Son of God. These were all titles that were given to Caesar at that time. He was called Augustus Caesar, meaning the exalted Caesar, or majesty, or majesty on high. So despite all this, the power that Caesar had, the Roman Empire, the great power that was given, Luke uses all this, all this power just as the background to tell another story. He uses all this power as a background for the main character of the gospel of Luke and of the history of the world, of the history of the universe, to tell about the birth of Jesus. The real focus of the gospel of Luke lies elsewhere in Galilee, and it starts with Joseph, verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David. Nothing particular or special is said of this man called Joseph, except that he is from the line of David, and he is from Bethlehem. He's from the promised city of Bethlehem. So even though nothing special is said of this man, this verse should immediately ring a bell in the reader's mind of Luke's gospel telling them something. Wait a minute. I know something of this city of Bethlehem. I know something about the line of David, something that would happen. Second Samuel seven sixteen. still remained until those days. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. There was still a promise. A promise remained that a kingdom would come from the line of David to sit upon the throne forever. So the expectation was there. Something would come out of the line of David. Even though nothing special appeared to be on Joseph, something would happen. So there is a veil tension building up here. On the one hand, there is Caesar the great authority of that time, the king of the Roman Empire sitting upon the throne. But on the other hand, there is the expectation of a Davidic king who would come to sit on the throne once and for all from the small town of Bethlehem. So Christmas is rebellising the powers of this world. Or we could say that Christmas is about bringing the true king to the throne is about bringing he who is meant to reign forever to the throne. And it's all started very quietly. There is an emphasis here in the text on the city of David, the city that would fulfill the prophecy of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. So not only someone from Israel would come, but this one would be from the line of David. And not only from the line of David, but from Bethlehem. So little by little, all these prophecies falling into place, quietly in the background. 
But how would the king be born in Bethlehem if Joseph and Mary were living in Nazareth, even as we saw yesterday? Well, God uses the decree of a secular king to bring them out of Nazareth back to Bethlehem. He decreed a census to compel Joseph back to his hometown. Even though Caesar was completely clueless of what was happening, he was being used by God to fulfill his decrees. Christmas is a reminder for us that God is at work, even when we can see God's providence is operating in your life, even through mundane things, even to things that appear to be of small importance or no importance at all. But God is at work. On this side of eternity, God's providence appears to be mysterious and often inexplicable. We cannot make sense of why things are happening in the way they are. But God is in control. He's putting all things in the right place. Even if we can see, while Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem for a census, verses 6 and 7, God's providence would lead them to fulfill His promises for the humble birth of Jesus. As the house were already, was already full, they didn't find a place in the inn. And they had to stay in a small room somewhere else. And the little babe Jesus was then placed in a manger. He was placed in a humble manger. He wasn't born in the king's house. He wasn't born in a noble family. But born in a humble family who had to stay in a corner room. And the little babe Jesus laid in a manger. I mean, this... This word manger sounds like a nice word, doesn't it, children? It sounds like something cute and special, but it's not the case. It's nothing glorious about a manger. It's a feeding trough. It's a wooden structure which the animals come to eat from. It's nothing glorious at all. It's the structure that was used to feed animals, indicating that they were probably at least nearby a stable of some kind. So there was no adornment, no luxury whatsoever. It was a humble and lowly manger. No apparent glory. The Westminster Shorter Catechism asks in question 27, Wherein did Christ's humiliation consist? And the answer is this. Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born. So first, that he was born. And second, and that in a low condition. And do you know what is the proof text for that low condition that Christ was born? Oh, it's Luke chapter 2, verse 7, that he was born in a humble condition. He was born, he was laid in a manger. The king of kings was born and laid in a manger. Not only had God had to be born out of humanity and take our humanity upon himself, but he didn't even born of a king. He wasn't noble. He didn't take any nobility. He was laying in a manger, lowly and humble. It wasn't just unfortunate that God had to be in a manger. It was humiliating. This was part of his humiliation that he had to go through. Even being the great king, he was born in a humble condition. He had to go through every mundane experience that we do, just like we do. It's even... Children, can you imagine that just like a human child, just like you and me, baby Jesus had to learn how to walk. 
He had to learn how to speak. He had to learn to do all the little things that we do. Even though he is the creator of the universe by the word of his power, he had to be nurtured by his mother. Even though he made all things, even though he knows all things and he is the very wisdom of God, he had to learn the ABCs. So even though he is great and he is almighty, he had to go through all the small experiences of life that we do so. Jesus Christ begins his ministry by displaying humility. So this is the very first lesson that he teaches us, even though he was just a baby, is humility. To be humble, though he was king and he had it all, he was humble. The first throne of the newborn king was a manger. Glorious, but yet veiled. A humble glory, we could say. The beginning of his ministry is very humble. In fact, his rule on earth is executed very humbly and lowly. A ministry that begins humbly and also ends humbly. In the same manner, he was born in the midst of animals. And then at the end of his ministry, he was crossed. He he was in the cross among robbers. So he began very humbly and it ended in the same way. As says the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 3. He is despised and reject of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as if, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That's the condition that Christ was born and that Christ executed his ministry. No apparent glory to the eyes of normal men. Nothing that other people would esteem. No apparent beauty, no apparent power according to these world, and yet the most glorious and almighty of all. And it's precisely through this quiet and almost secret way that God's divine plan is being fulfilled. But the birth of Jesus would not just be quiet and humble, but also gloriously proclaimed, gloriously proclaimed. Now that Jesus is born, this event has to be proclaimed and explained to others. A child born to Mary in Bethlehem. But who is this child? Who is this child that was born? And what is the significance of his birth? Verse 8 tells us of a dark and silent night with shepherds kept watch over their flock. Suddenly the heavens burst forth with the glory of God revealed from heaven. And that's when the messengers, angels of God, come to tell this message. Verse 9 to announce, to announce the good news. And this truth is so powerful and life-changing that it has to be announced. It cannot remain in secret. No, it has to be announced. It has to go forth and to be proclaimed to others as well. Not just the family members, Joseph and Mary, but also the shepherds and also all others across the world. The first group who received these news is not nobles, not kings. The first group who received these news was not the throne room of Caesar, but it was humble shepherds in the field. And as the angel appears, the glory of the Lord surrounds them. The glory of the Lord was there, revealing them something very important. In the middle of that night, the glory of God was shining bright. God's majesty presence was there to announce the birth of the Redeemer, 
the day that would mark the history of redemption. Such an extraordinary encounter produces fear in them. They are shocked. They are impressed by the glory of God appearing in that moment and that day. But soon enough, their fear is turned into joy. Verse 9, For behold, say the angel, I bring you good tidings of great joy. The first impression that they had as those angels appeared, as that glory of God shined forth from heaven in the middle of that dark night, was that they would be consumed. But the angels immediately told them, Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy. I bring you good news. Do not despair. I bring you good news. Behold, behold, the Redeemer will be born. What is this good news? What is the reason for great joy? Because the Savior is born. Verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The fact that Jesus is born was both history and theology. It's a fact. This child is born named Jesus, but it's also theological. He is the Redeemer, the Savior of the universe. We cannot undermine neither of this. The historical fact that he was born, that he had to be born a a real human, but also that he is the Savior of the universe. Jesus is called here by three important titles. He's Savior, He's Christ, and He's Lord. As Savior, He is the Deliverer of His people. The bringer of salvation, the one who brings salvation to a people who was otherwise condemned and lost. As Christ, he is the anointed one who comes to fulfill the scriptures. As the promised king from the line of David, who was prepared and anointed before the foundation of the world, he comes to sit upon the throne. And as Lord, Jesus is divine. He's very God of very God. Possessing absolute sovereignty. He is the Lord God Almighty. He is not merely the anointed King and Savior, but He is God. God incarnate. The first significance of this proclamation is to put Caesar back in his place. Remember that I say that Caesar was called Savior and God, the Son of God. Well, now the angel is saying that's not true. The Son of God is not Caesar, and the Savior of the universe is not Caesar either. Behold, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is born. He is the Savior of the universe, not Caesar. So they are setting the powers of the universe in their right place. This is the King, not Caesar. Christmas is a call to battle against the powers of this world. A reminder that the only ruler of this world is Christ, and he's also the only Savior and only hope. The fact that he is the Savior already presumes that we need salvation. See, the fact that he is called Savior already presumes that we needed to be saved, that we were born into sin, that the first Adam failed, and because of the fall, we needed a Savior. We needed to be rescued. We needed to be redeemed. So here it is. A Savior is provided. We were lost, and we could never work out our own salvation. So a Savior had to come to rescue us. Pastor Dale Davis 
say this. God did not send an economist because our deepest need is not poverty, nor a philosopher because our trouble is not incoherence. He didn't send a psychologist for our problem is not maladjustment, not an entertainer for our problem is not boredom, not an administrator for we are not disorganized, not a religious leader because we are not not many of us anyway, irreligious. Savior, Messiah, Lord, such is the proclamation of Christmas. That is our greatest need. Our greatest need was of a Savior to save us from our sins, that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, and our greatest need was a Savior. Jesus is not merely a moral example and teacher, as many use him that way. He is the Savior who saves us from our sins. That was and still is our greatest need. We needed a Savior. And Jesus is the only Savior that that is. And after Jesus' birth is announced, Jesus is also widely Praised by all believers around him. He is widely praised, our third point. All that lowliness and humility is now contrasted by a multitude of angels who fill the sky to praise his name, to praising God, verse 13, praising the newborn king. And these angels praise the Lord for what the coming of Jesus would result. They know what it means that the Savior is born. They know what it means that Jesus Christ is finally born. So they praise God. Verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. All the universe is impacted by these. The heavens and earth. Good will toward man. He is the one who would change the history of humanity. The reverser of the curse. The head crusher. The heavens give glory to God for peace on earth obtained in Jesus Christ. The story of Christmas begins with humility, but ends with great glory being sent forth throughout the world, being proclaimed proclaimed and praised. After hearing the angelic proclamation of the birth of the Redeemer, the shepherds hurry up and they, they have to see by themselves what this is. Verse 15 and 16. To see what the angels spoke about. Where is this king? Where is this God-man that dwells among us? So the shepherds, like Mary, responded in faith, in obedience, immediately obeying the call of God to them, obeying God's command. And perhaps after walking that distance and after a few knocks here and there, the shepherds find the place where this promised baby was. As soon as the shepherds see the baby, they know it is truth. What the angels proclaimed, what all the prophecies of the Old Testament told, it is truth. Here he is, the promised king, the promised savior. Here he is. It is true. They were filled with that Message: The Messiah is born. Christ the Lord is born. Has come to save sinners. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
yet laying in a manger. Here is the king. Impressed by what they saw, they go ahead to broadcast the news, verse 17. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. On that Christmas day, those shepherds became the first evangelists. They became the first one to bring the good news to others around them, to proclaim the good news. They could not go away the same way that they first came. They had to share the good news and the gospel with others. They had to tell others, to proclaim that Jesus is born. The King has come. They went to announce all that the angels told them. The shepherds returned filled with faith. Faith, verse 20, glorifying and praising God. They were glorifying, praising the Lord, giving thanks to the Lord and praising His name. But while the shepherds were announcing the big news with exceeding joy, the text says in verse 19, But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary began a deep meditation in her heart of all that she had heard, all that she had seen. She was meditating, thinking through all that had happened. The message that she received not only hit her her ears and her mind, but also her heart. She was meditating, considering these things. Mary was still processing the good news, processing, pondering in her heart what was happening. Mary is being cautious and careful. Christmas had not only a big meaning to be broadcast to others, but also something to be pondered in our hearts, something to think through, to consider to think, what does it mean, not only to others, but what does it mean to you? What does this message of the king being born mean to you in your life? What does it mean that the God-man came down from heaven to save sinners? What does this message have to do with you? So Christmas is something to be proclaimed and something to be think through carefully. Something that we cannot keep to ourselves, but we have to proclaim, to widely proclaim. But something that first we need to ask ourselves. What does it have to do with me, with myself, that Jesus was born? What this means to us, that the Redeemer was born? Two different reactions to Christmas, and they are both right. The birth of Christ is some, both something to be announced and something to be pondered in our heart. But either way, the birth of Christ ought not to leave us lethargic or dull. The birth of the King ought not to leave us in the same way that we first came. It ought to change us, to, be, to produce faith and joy in our life, exceeding joy and a reason to praise God and glorify His name. If in this Christmas we put Christ in the right place, we will not be easily impressed by the world around us. But if we are impressed by other things, if we are still impressed by the things of this world, we will not be impressed by the King Jesus. We need to see Him by who He is. All the glory that was given to Him, all the praises that was given to Him, and little by little, we will not be impressed by this world. We need to be impressed by the God-man, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Christmas is also a reminder 
that never again our king will endure humiliation. He went through humiliation once and for all to fulfill a purpose, to complete scripture, to redeem us. He was born to a woman once. He went through suffering once. He tasted death once. He died on the cross once, but never again. Because he fulfilled his mission. He accomplished his purpose. He fulfilled his mission. So never again our king will be humiliated. Christmas is a promise that only once he came down from heaven to go through all this suffering to accomplish his purpose. But now that the purpose is fulfilled, the power is his. He has conquered death and all the enemies and never again he will be humiliated. He did what he had to do. The birth of Christ had a purpose, and the purpose was accomplished. The Word became flesh, fully divine, and yet took upon himself our human nature, truly man and truly God. The divine plan was fulfilled and was accomplished perfectly. Every single promise that led to that day were accomplished in Him. And the proclamation that is started in the birth of Christ will echo for all eternity, for Christ will forever and ever be praised. And in Him, in the person of Jesus Christ, we will see the Godhead in flesh when we come to His presence in heaven. Forever. The history of redemption is impacted by this day, the birth of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, worth to be praised, worth to be proclaimed throughout the world. Heaven and earth will ever and ever praise Christ. As the old hymn says, let's come and marvel Him for what this day means, for what this history of redemption means to us. As the old hymn says, Who is he in yonder stall, at whose feet the shepherds fall? Who is he that stands and weeps at the grave where Lazarus sleeps? Lo, at midnight, who is he that prays in dark Gethsemane? Who is he on the wonder tree, dies in grief and agony? Who is he that from the grave comes to succor, help, and save? Who is he that from his throne Rule through all the world alone. It's the Lord. Oh, wondrous story. It's the Lord, the King of glory. At his feet we humbly fall. Crown him, crown him, Lord of all. That's the message that the King was born. That the Lord, God-man, was born and came to save. Lowly and yet glorious. For a little while veiled, but now we praise him. And one day we will crown him with many crowns. Before the host of heaven, with all the angels and all the saints of all times. Praising him and singing praises to him, his name. Crowning him with many crowns. So let's do this today. To have a foretaste of what we will do for all eternity. Praising our King, our God-man, Jesus Christ, for He is worthy to be praised. Amen. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Let's pray.
O Lord God Almighty, Creator of the universe, O King Jesus, anointed Christ, Lord, as we come before Thee, Lord, as we come before Thy throne, O Lord, we marvel and we are impressed by Thy glory. We are impressed by who Thou art and what Thou hast done, Lord. All thou has changed the powers of this world. Thou art the one who has judged the kings and rulers of this world. Thou art the one who has conquered death. Thou art the one who has defeated the enemies. O oh Lord, all glory is given unto thee. And we come before thee, Lord, today to praise thy name and to glorify thee, Lord. O oh Lord, help us to do this today and forevermore to consider these truths in our heart and also to proclaim and announce it to others around us as well. For no one should go out in the same way that we first came. No one should live a life without being pressed by the reality and glory of Jesus Christ. There is only one King and only one Savior of the universe. And, O oh Lord... That is our King Jesus. So we come before thee, Lord, to glorify thy name today and forever. Prepare us, Lord, to, to appear before our King, to appear before the God-man, and fill us with joy and praise in our lips. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.